Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, October 12, 2022, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only. I'm working for my hotel in Bristol, Connecticut. I'm doing shows here, Baseball Tonight, during this uh, week of the Division Series. Taylor Schwenk is working from his home studio, the Schwenk Studios in the foothills of Connecticut, and Sarah Abbott is working from the Sarah Abbott Studios on her birthday. Happy birthday, Sarah. Thank you so much. I'm so happy and so excited, and it's going to be a good day. Yeah, that's awesome. And we got to get more from you uh, later about what your what your birthday plans are. This is the uh, birthday for my brother as well, my brother Sam, who's uh, I asked him today, what is he doing? Uh, he's a logger. He said, I'm removing trees from their earthly bounds. Uh, he, that's what he's doing. And it's also the birthday for my dog. Ruby's the best dog I've ever had. She turns 12 today. All right. Yesterday, the first day of the division series across the American League, National League landscape. And clearly the game of the day happened in Houston. Justin Verlander started for the Astros who come into this series as big favorites because of all their experience. And early on, Justin Verlander got dinged up by the youngest player on the field. Verlander's 1-2 on the way. Swung on a line shot to the alley in right center. Way out there on the grass, up against the fence. One run is in, Frazier scores. Kelnick is in to score, and it is 3-0 Seattle. Rodriguez, the sublime rookie, with a bullet into right center field. It got to the wall on one bounce. 3-0 Seattle. Jordan Alvarez helped the Astros come back in the bottom of the third. The pitch. Swing and a high fly ball into left center field. Backing up is Kelnick. They're both looking up, and it's going to be off the wall. Off the Crawford boxes. One run in. Here comes El Tuve. He will score without a throw to the plate, and that'll be a double for Alvarez. And that tightens up the ball game and makes it 4-2. to two. That sound from ESPN Radio. J.P. Crawford added to the Mariners' lead in the top of the fourth. Verlander rocks, he pitches, swinging a high fly ball deep to right field. That's way down the line. Watch this baby go. That is gone. A monster shot by the number nine hitter, Crawford. Seattle extended their lead in the top of the seventh inning. Pitch to Suarez, swinging that one, driven into left field, back toward the wall, and that ball is gone. Suarez with a blast. And he's had himself a really fine day. That's the second home run of the afternoon for Seattle. Eugenio Suarez with 31 in season gets a hold of one, and that was out of here in a hurry into the Crawford boxes to make it 7-3 to Seattle. Now the Astros, as you knew they would, started to come back in the bottom of the eighth inning with help from Alex Bregman. Swing and a high fly ball left field. That's deep. Kalnick back, turning around, looking up, and that ball is gone. Home run. Bregman strikes. And the Houston Astros right back in the game. A two-run shot to make it 7-5 to Seattle. In the ninth inning, the Astros rally. Two outs and two on. And Mariners manager Scott Service brought in left-hander Robbie Ray, who, of course, normally works as a starter to work to left-handed slugger Jordan Alvarez. This is what happened. Here's the pitch. Swing and there's a drive. Sucked to right. Back it goes. And that's a walk-off shot. A walk-off shot. Jordan Alvarez has done it with a three-run blast in the bottom of the ninth. And Houston pulls it out eight to seven. Holy cow. And it's very interesting, this decision by service, because when you look at the numbers, uh, there's actually a statistical argument. He should have left his closer in the game. Here's Scott Service talking about the tough loss. Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, there's no question about it. I thought we played a, um, a very good ball game today. We did a lot of great things offensively. Certainly we got on Verlander early in the game and uh, did exactly what we needed to do there. But as I talked early about it and, and our team about it, it's, it's like a heavyweight fight. You know, you're going to get punched. It's how you respond in those moments, and that's a tough one. And today I thought we had it uh, in hand. Uh, you got to give them credit. Certainly they've been uh, in this spot many times before, and you don't quit, but they got some huge hits late in the game uh, against some of our better guys. So uh, we will respond. 
these things happen throughout the course of the year. And we talked about it coming into the playoffs. You are going to have games. You're going to have moments where it doesn't go your way. And, you know, we will respond accordingly tomorrow. We'll get after it again. Dusty Baker has a ton of experience in big games. He was asked about where does this rank among games you've witnessed? Boy, that's, that's so close to the top. Um, I don't know what the top is, but that's very, very close to it. And uh, that's, boy, I mean, the baseball world, you know, had to be excited. I know the town is excited. Our team's excited. You know, if you're not a baseball fan, after watching that, there's a good chance you'll tune in tomorrow or Thursday. Here's Alex Bregman talking about Alvarez's home run. I just went nuts. I lost my voice, honestly, out there. Um, I was screaming. Um, I wanted to go give him a hug, like, right after he hit it, but he still had to go run the bases. So just waiting for him. The, the team was fired up. Um, the place was on fire tonight. The fans were unbelievable. It was so awesome to have a packed house here. The energy was flowing. We felt it. We felt them. Now, in Atlanta, earlier in the day, the Braves playing host to the Phillies. Max Fried was not good. He looked sluggish. Remember, he came out of his previous start uh, being sick in the middle of the game. And the Phillies yesterday took advantage of that. And that ball is ripped. Dansby Swanson cannot get it. Into left field it goes. Sosa's in. Hoskins is in. And another huge hit. Castellanos third of the day. He picks up two more RBIs. Philadelphia six. Atlanta one. That was Carl Ravitch on ESPN Radio. Castellanos was only getting started. The score was 7-3, ninth inning. Matt Olson drew the Braves close. Looks over at first where Swanson's got a lead. Acuna is in his eyesight halfway down the third baseline. And Olsen sends one high and deep to center field. That sends Marsh back all the way to the wall. It's a three-run home run. And Matt Olsen has pulled the Braves within one. It's 7-6. The next batter came to the plate, and this is what happened on a little flare to right field. Here comes the pitch, and he swings and sends it to right field. Getting a late jump on it, Castellanos. He dives. Oh, what a catch by Castellanos. Here was the final call. Dardo, last chance. And on the ground. Shortstop over to make the play. Sosa to first. Got him. Wow. The Philadelphia Phillies and Zach Eflin survive. Thanks in large part to an amazing catch in right field by Nick Castellanos. And the Phillies win game one. Phillies manager Rob Thompson described Castellanos' performance. Outstanding. Um, swung about really well. Had some big hits. Made a great play in the ninth on that sliding catch to um, you know, get the second out of the ninth. So... Um, yeah, I hope that's the start of something because uh, he's been out for a long time and maybe he's get, really getting his timing back now. It's a big moment, you know, in this series, first game of this series to win this this game is, is huge for us. So, um, you know, he's, he's had some big moments. He's hit a home, he hit a home run here earlier in the season that won a game for us, but uh, that was a great game for him. Here's Nick Castellanos. After you made your catch, you laid on your back and you looked up at the sky. It looked like you were happy, you were relieved. I mean, what, what was going through your mind after the catch? I mean, all the above. Just kind of looking, I was like, thank God I caught that ball. <laughs> uh, you know, just a, they, they obviously had a big point in the game right there with, you know, putting them within one. So to be able to catch that and have two outs and nobody on base, I mean, was huge. Braves manager Brian Snitker talked about not being able to capitalize against Ranger Suarez with runners on base early in the game. You know, we had him on the ropes. I mean, he was struggling too, and, and we just couldn't get a big hit. I mean, we had the deck stacked in our favor three times against him, and just we couldn't, you know, they got big hits, and we didn't. Snitker was asked about checking with Max Freed, given his physical issues. I just want to make sure he's okay. I want anything, you know, with his arm or anything like that. And I think it's just, I, I just don't know if there's anything in the tinderbox in there firing a little bit, you know. It's probably time off, the sickness, whatever. So, you know, we really, through that part of the lineup, we're just trying to get him through one more, really. And, you know, in the past, he's been able to do that. But it just wasn't working for him today. A former Los Angeles Angels employee was sentenced to 22 years in federal prison Tuesday for providing Angels pitcher Tyler Skaggs the drugs 
that led to his overdose death in Texas. Eric Kay, dressed in an orange jumpsuit with handcuffs and leg shackles, didn't react when the judge read his sentence. Kay faced at least 20 years in prison on one of the two counts. One other note, Pete Petila was hired as the new general manager for the San Francisco Giants. He replaces Scott Harris, who has moved on to the Detroit Tigers. And by the way, today we're going to be talking with Tigers manager A.J. Hinch, who's going to give us his view of the decision by Scott Service. Last night in the Bronx, the Yankees and the Guardians, a lot of pressure on Garrett Cole going into this game to perform like an ace. And in the top of the third inning, the Guardians took the lead. The 2-0s hit to right and hit well. Judge is back, and Stephen Kwan has hit it out. About five rows back into the seat in Wrights field, and the Cleveland Guardians have taken a one-to-nothing lead here in the third. That from Dan Schulman on ESPN Radio. The Yankees tied the score in the bottom of the third. 3-2 is swung on and lined to deep left. Kwan back, and it is gone. Harrison Bader lines one into the seats and left, and the Yankees have tied it at one. In the fifth inning, there was this crazy play with Josh Donaldson misreading uh, whether or not his ball had gone into the stands. Give a listen. As the 1-0 to Donaldson's hit pretty well toward the right field corner, Gonzalez back, and it is off the top of the wall and is called in play, and Donaldson is hung up between first and second and tagged out diving back to first. And Donaldson is protesting that the ball left the ballpark. But if he is wrong, he is out. Garrett Cole was dominant after that uh, early struggles. This was Garrett Cole in the eighth inning. Two balls, two strikes to count. And the pitch is swinging a miss. He got him. And Jose Trevino, the catcher, is fired up as he pumps his fist after that strikeout. Number eight on the night for Cole. Anthony Rizzo extended the Yankees' lead in the bottom of the six. And the 3-2 to Rizzo is swinging a high fly ball to right. Hit pretty well. Gonzalez is back at the wall. It is gone. And then after that, the Yankees' bullpen was terrific. Two and two-thirds scoreless innings leading to this final call. And the 2-1 on the way. And a swing and a ball in the air to right center. Playable for Harrison Bader. And the Yankees will win it. Holmes gets it done. Cole with a very nice outing. Home runs for Bader and Rizzo tonight. And the Yankees take game one of the series by a score of 4-1. to one. After the game, Guardians manager Terry Francona was asked about Garrett Cole. I thought we did a really good job early, you know, driving this pitch count up. And then he had a real quick fourth inning that kind of got him back into the game where he was able to actually go out for the seventh. We had a real good opportunity. You know, we had bases loaded um, and, and, and didn't cash in. So that, that doesn't help. But he, he's got pretty good stuff. I mean, you watch the game. He's got velocity. He spins the ball. Pretty tough to, to get a beat on. Francona was asked about the Yankees' defense. Well, that, that's part of what, why they're better than they were before. Um, I hope it doesn't lead to a win the next game. That's, you know, it's, they're, they're a much better defensive team. That's, that's for sure. That's stating the obvious. Aaron Boone talked about Cole's performance. I thought he did a really good job of, of you know, kind of owning the moment, um, being unpredictable, and, and I thought his breaking ball was was really really on point tonight. But and then the few times you know he was backed into a corner, he made some pitches. Here's Garrett Cole talking about being able to get out of a third inning jam with the bases loaded. Thought we played good defense, picked each other up, and. Uh... Made good pitches, uh, ultimately, for the most part, throughout the inning. Anthony Rizzo talked about the Yankees' defense. We have been really good defensively. I think that's credit to all of us putting the work in, our coaches putting us in good positions and, and getting us to work when we need it and backing off when when they know we don't. And it's what's going to take us to the promised land is pitching and defense. And finally, the last game of the day, the Dodgers and the Padres in Los Angeles and the Dodgers jumped all over San Diego and starting pitcher Mike Clevenger. The pitch. 
Swing and a ground ball to the right side. Knocking it down is Myers. Everybody's going to be safe. Muncie in to score. It was just put in the perfect spot, and then Myers didn't field it cleanly. Probably will be an E3. We'll see. It's 5-0 Dodgers. The Padres fought back in the top of the fifth with help from Will Myers. 1-1. Breaking ball. Hit in the air. Left field. Pretty well struck. Left field. Going back is Thompson at the wall, and that one is gone. And Will Myers will circle the bases, a solo homer that just got over the left field wall. And it makes it a 5-1 game. But this is where we landed. We've talked about how the Dodgers have this unusual bullpen situation. Uh, Craig Kimbrell wasn't even on the, is not even on the uh, roster for this round. And so the guy looking to get the save in the top of the ninth inning, Chris Martin. Nine career saves, two this year. And here was the final call. Swing and a high fly ball left field. Playable for Trace Thompson who comes in, settles under it, and he's got it. And that's a ball game. Dodgers win it. 5-3 the final in game one. Here's Dodgers shortstop Trey Turner talking about how he felt after having those days off. You know, I feel good. I, f- I feel like uh, this year my body's felt uh you know, as good as it has in a long time, last few years and years past, you know, you play banged up, but this year's been pretty good. So um, I felt pretty good um, body-wise, but yeah, having a few days off, I think, like I told you, mentally and physically just helps a little bit and help you uh, hit the reset button real quick and then get right back to it. So yeah, I feel good. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts talked about setting a tone in the first inning against Clevenger. I, I thought our, our plan against uh, Clevenger was really good. Um, hunting balls in the strike zone. Uh, I thought Trey did a fantastic job tonight of, of not chasing and getting him in the strike zone. And, you know, when he get, got him in the strike zone, he put some really good swings together. I thought Will Smith did a really nice job uh, tonight. And I thought Max took great at-bats. And so um, I, I thought we had a great plan um, versus Clev. Sarah, what else you got? As excited as we all are about October baseball, be sure to check out our full slate of NFL shows, including the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny, the Adam Schefter podcast, the Dominique Foxworth show, and Kyle Brandt's basement. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus. A Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing this morning after getting um, no sleep? Because I know you're up watching our baseball tonight at 2 in the morning. As producer Greg Colley knows, I watch every show. I was watching you in Zubin last night. Loved it. But I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm still recovering. I was thinking about this, and I told this story again last night uh, on air when the Giants were going through their championship run I remember walking up to Bruce Bochy who I've known forever 
and, you know, played in, and I've told you rec league basketball with him. <clears throat> and I walked up to Boach and I said, Hey, Boach, I'm, I'm trying to figure out uh, based on the reaction that you get from, from game to game, are you a complete idiot or are you a genius? Cause it kind of changes from day to day based on the results, right? <laughs> you know, that's the nature of managing in the postseason. Everything you do is scrutinized. Uh, I must say, the more that I thought about it after the game last night, after the Mariners game, I, you know, looking at the numbers, I don't understand why Scott Service brought in Robbie Ray uh, to pitch in place of Paul Seawall. Because as we ran through the numbers on baseball tonight last night, yes, Robbie Ray is more effective against left-handed hitters. Uh, you know, he's someone who, you know, has obviously had a lot of success. But Seawald's numbers against lefties are actually better than Robbie Ray's, and he's the closer. So I'm I'm a little bit confused. What'd you think of that move? You know, I felt like a classic postseason move. We see these things happen where a star pitcher is put in a situation that he's not usually in, and that always stresses me out. We've seen Max Scherzer get the same. We've seen Clayton Kershaw get the save in those key moments, but it is such a pressure-packed moment. And for a guy who had pitched nearly four times in his regular season career in Robbie Ray, and none since he became Cy Young Robbie Ray, I just was not sure in the moment. It sort of felt like the type of thing. And Scott Service said this after the game felt like the type of thing they discussed three days ago. Hey, yep. if there's a big spot where your Don is coming up, we're going to go to Robbie Ray. But I think given the situation with two guys on, everything that had happened in the inning so far, it might not have been the right move. If it was nobody on, down by one, different kind of scenario, maybe it does work out. But it really did feel like they had said, okay, we're going to do this. And then situation, irregardless, they just went to it. Yeah, it reminded me, and I know you're going to remember this, in 2016 in the World Series, Game 7, uh, Joe Madden starts Kyle Hendricks, and they had talked before the game that they were going to bring John Lester in relief. And at mm -hmm. the moment, which you think, okay, John Lester's a big-game pitcher, left-hander, experienced, yeah, that's a good move. And then you watch Kyle Hendricks throwing – and when they brought in Lester, you're like, no, now's not the time. You know, it felt like one of those moves. I, I I completely agree with you. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is two. So speaking of that home run and that move, Jordan Alvarez's walk-off home run came with the Astros, as I alluded to, trailing by two runs. That was the first walk-off home run in postseason history with the players team trailing by multiple runs. And it was just the fourth ever while trailing at all. The others were 1993 World Series Game 6, Joe Carter, 1988 World Series Game 1, Kirk Gibson, and Lenny Dykstra in 1986 in the NLCS. But the only other one to be down to the players team's final out, so trailing, and with two outs was Kirk Gibson. So it was really an amazing moment. And, you know, to the point with the move, I think everyone I was working with last night, my father who texted me, everyone sort of said, I called it. And you really had that feeling during the pitching change that you know exactly what Jordan Alvarez was going to do. And that might have been true with any pitcher, honestly. To give Scott Service a bit of a break there, I mean, this is what Jordan does in a moment like that. But, I mean, he crushed the ball. It was a really, really cool moment to see, unless you were rooting for the Mariners. Number two. Number two is 71%. 71%. So we're through game one in the division series and all of them. So good time to update sort of the history of what happens in a best of five series. So in the history of best of five series in the postseason, game one winners have gone on to win that series 102 of 144 times. So that's 71%. So 
just a little bit better than two-thirds of the time. Of course, we've seen these series go five. We've seen the game one winner not go on to win the series, but it certainly feels like, at least for a few of the teams, maybe all of them, those were very decisive wins where it feels like this series could go their way pretty quickly. Number one. Number one is three. So Nick Cassianos, we definitely have to talk about him. And the first thing we're going to say about him is that he had three hits in the first four innings of that game yesterday. He became the second player in Philly's postseason history to have three hits in the first four innings of the game. And I have to say this because the other guy was Brett Myers, a pitcher, in NLCS Game 2 in 2008. He saw Chad Billingsley really well, and I believe a reliever for the third hit. This was one of the stats where I always make sure I'm right before I share it. But this was probably my first ever time checking it about five times before tweeting it out to make sure, is that really Brett Myers? Did I do something wrong here? And, you know, what a really cool redemption story for Nick Castellanos. It's only game one of the series, but making that catch, 55% catch probability in the ninth, in that sketchy situation for the Phillies. We know he's not a great defender. We've talked about how the team does not defend well, especially in the outfield, for him to have that moment and carry the offense. I mean, this is why baseball is so amazing, especially in October, because players like him, Trent Grisham in the wild card series can have those redeeming moments. I love uh, after the game when he was doing his post game interview. Uh, he's very serious generally. That's his. Uh, you know, the, the, the other teammates will tell you that he's very serious, and he basically says in a monotone, "I love baseball." Like I love baseball. He 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 was great, Sarah. Before you go, I got something for you. Give a listen. Hi, Sarah. Bruce Bochy here. I just want you to know I've been thinking about you. And when I think about you, I think about those spring training games in Scottsdale where this young lady showed up screaming from her heart for her favorite giant players like Buster Posey, Brandon Bell, Brandon Crawford. And it didn't matter what the score was. She was still yelling with passion. So I had to turn around to see who this young lady was. And that's where I met you and your mom. And then, of course, it wasn't, but a few years later, I'm watching MLB channel, and there you are talking baseball. I was so proud of you. Sarah, I'm sending love your way. My best to you. I think the world of you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Buster. (laughs) What do you remember about that? Oh, my gosh. So the day that I first talked to Bruce Bochy, It was a spring training game. It was 2014, and it was Tim Lincecum against the late Yordano Ventura. Of course, those two teams would go on to face each other in the World Series later that year. Uh, Obviously, the Royals and the Giants. And Lincecum went out there and gave up a handful of runs. And I want to say the Giants were trailing by like five or six runs. And they ended up coming back. And, you know, I'm at the game. I'm a fan. I'm screaming. And at some point, I should say, we were sitting in seats that were not ours. So my mom and I at Scottsdale Stadium were now outing ourselves to the ushers. Would always go and sit in the first row, not right behind the plate, but a little bit to the right next to the dugout. And, you know, in spring training, the managers often sit on the field. So we would go there just to have a great seat. And when the people came, we moved. That game, nobody came. So we sat there the whole game. And I'm screaming my lungs out of the spring training game. And eventually, Boat turns around and says, hey, you know, how you doing? What's your name? Starts shouting. And, uh, you know, we came back. We were there the next day. And that's sort of where we got to know each other and that, uh, you know, I mentioned my name. And later that month, we went to a game in San Francisco. They used to play the A's, or they still do, uh, for the final few spring training games 
in San Francisco and Oakland. And we went to one of those games and I was hanging out by the dugout just before the game. And Boach saw me and goes, hey, Sarah, how are you doing? And I was blown away that he remembered my name, remembered me. And from that moment, every year at spring training, when he was there, he remembered us, came over and chatted. How's your mom? How's your grandma? And then, of course, uh, you know, he had asked, was I in school? All these things. So when I started working at ESPN, I said, yeah, I'm graduating. I'm about to go work at ESPN. And uh, yeah, that was how I got to know World Series winning and Hall of Fame soon to be manager. So thank you so much for uh, calling him and getting that. That's incredible. He's awesome. And so are you, Sarah. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. A.J. Hinch is the manager of the Detroit Tigers, and previously, of course, he was manager of the Astros when they won the World Series in 2017. A.J., how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm a little jealous of all the... uh the playoff action and not being a part of it but i uh, i'm watching intently well it's funny i had a conversation with alex Corey yesterday here uh about that that and you and i both know people in the game who if their team's in, is eliminated they won't watch what about you you'll watch even if you guys are not involved i'm locked in as much as i can i mean i'm a baseball junkie uh obviously you know the off season has started and we got a lot of things going on in detroit but i I love the game. I love the pressure of these decisions. You know, I look now that I've experienced playoff baseball as a manager, I I look at the whole game a little bit differently and kind of empathize a little bit with the with the agony of some of these decisions. And and you know, it's it's, our, it's the most exciting time in our sport. So I don't want to uh, pout on my couch and not watch the game. I want to I want to see what's going on with the sport because somebody's going to experience uh, the joy of of what October can bring and. It's uh, it's fun to be a part of from a from a distance. So it was back in 2014 when Bruce Bochy uh, was managing the Giants, and I someone I've known for a long time. And I, I walked up to him during that World Series and said, "Bochy, I'm having a hard time keeping track. Are you a complete idiot, or are you a total genius today?" <laughs> uh, because it felt like, especially in the World Series, when the media, uh, you know, that you might have a lot of baseball uh, writers, but. And for many of them, they're dropping in on teams for the first time. And we're all, you know, paid to give opinions about decisions that you make, uh, managers make during the course of the year. And it, it feels like it's all one way or all the other. Tell me what it's like to manage under those conditions. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, it's high pressure situation. And you're, you're never more scrutinized about a fourth inning decision than October. And, and it's, it's true. I mean, the process of, of arriving at that decision is far before the actual moment that it happens, all the preparation that goes in, you know, your players better than anybody in the industry. And, and so it's hard to, to, to be judged solely by the results. When you know, your process is sound, the game is won and lost by the players. The managers are paid to, to put themselves in the best position they can. And when it works, it's great. When it doesn't, it, it's miserable. And I can, you know, from my experience in 2017, I used a lot of uh, starting pitchers, as relievers, I, I, I started being a little bit more creative and in, in trying to get to the 27th out, and it, and it worked. And then 
So everybody thought that I loved taking the starter out early. And then in 2019 in the World Series, you know, I left the starters in a little bit later into the games. I go to the bullpen and and, and a game got away in game seven and, and Will Harris got up the homer to Howie Kendrick and the Nationals win the World Series. And then I was an idiot for, for not leaving the starter into the eighth and ninth inning. So I've seen it at both levels. We realize that the results are what we're going to be judged by. Uh, but inside the game and kind of behind the, the curtain, you know, all of us know the, the, the energy and time we put into trying to be perfect and try to try to lead us to the promised land. Is it hard to, to not take it personally? You know, I was thinking about Scott Service Day. He's had a lifetime in baseball. And today, right. you know, as I was saying to Boach, you know, he's the he's the guy everyone's criticized and say, how could you right. possibly do that with Robbie Ray? Um, right. Is it hard to sort of set that aside, AJ, or not? No. A little bit, only that you shouldn't listen to it and you shouldn't read about it. I mean, I, I worry more about my family reading it or my best friends reading it and listening to it and, and being impacted by it. I mean, it's what we sign up for. It's part of the job. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, no one's trying to, to make a decision that doesn't work. And it, it's hard knowing Roddy Ray comes in and punches out Jordan Alvarez. Scott Service is high five and big hug. They have a one game lead. And instead it's a fastball down the middle and it gets out of the ballpark and the worst case scenario happens. And you feel like, you know, you can't walk out of your hotel room with any pride. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a tough existence. It's what we sign up for, though. And, yeah. So tell me where you landed on that whole question of uh, and how you feel now about the whole question of using starters as relievers. You're not going to put these guys in a situation uh, unless right. you have faith in them. They obviously someone like Robbie Ray has a ton of success. And on the other hand, they're in a role that they're not accustomed to, to doing coming out of the bullpen. So where did you land on it? Yeah, so I, I don't know the players and the makeup and, and their preparation or what they need for their throwing. And and I'm sure, I mean, knowing Scott Service, he's going to have communicated effectively and let Robbie Ray know that going into that series, if he's going to be used as a reliever, it's probably going to center around Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez. So that, that, that wasn't going to be a surprise for Robbie Ray. He was throwing, I saw they were shown on TV that he was throwing in the seventh or eighth inning. So he had a ton of time for himself to get himself physically ready um, but it's tough. I believe in using your best pitchers. I, I don't think you have to follow the exact script for 162. Um, you could see, you know, guys are going to get extended further. Guy, I mean, I went bringing in Edwin Diaz the other day with the Mets was in the seventh inning. And I was like, he got to throw 55 pitches in three innings. And he probably would have if they hadn't scored all those runs. And so I, I think that the playoffs are complete, should be judged completely differently on how you use your players. But you know your players best and what they can and can't handle. Not every starter can handle the ambush, relief relief outing. Um, I did it with Justin Verlander in a, in a division series. And, and the reason I did is I, I was not afraid of the home run. And he comes in and gives up a home run to Andrew Benatendi in his only relief outing, I think, of his career. So I, best league plans do not always work out. You have to know your players best. You have to communicate with them. But I... I landed in it like he thought that was the best matchup and that and, and something had led to him. Execution was the reason why it didn't work out. It's hard for me as a manager to, 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 to think that I, you know, I was the sole reason that we lost the game, but you're responsible for your decisions. I'm, I'm sure serve had, had, had set everybody up for, for success and, and Jordan beat him. And so at the end of the day, he better start focusing on game two and not dwell on game one much longer. So uh, I had a conversation during the summer with Alex Cintrone, uh, who you know, uh, you know, great hitting coach. Uh, he said to me in June, he thinks that uh, Alvarez is becoming the best pure hitter in baseball uh, because of the power and uh, the ability, the average ability, and his understanding of the strike zone and the way his mechanics have evolved. Tell me what you're seeing in him. Yeah, so I think Jordan has always wowed people with the distance of his homers. You know, he's gone opposite field. He's hit it up there by the gas tank at Minute Maid. You know, I've seen him clear batting eyes in center field. Like, he'll hit majestic homers that, that, and given his size and his powerful swing, everybody will go right to the power as if he's this slugging monster of a hitter that, that, that produces power. And then you kind of watch his at-bats function and you see how good of a hitter he is. And, and so I would agree with Alex. He's in the, in the top tier of, of, of both, of power and the ability to control the strike zone and swing at strikes. Um, there's still a swing and miss in there occasionally. There's still, you know, he will, 
almost stubbornly stay with his plan on what he's looking for. And he's, you know, he'll take pitches, which can be seen as an advantage or a disadvantage. But as far as one of the most feared hitters in the game for getting a hit or driving runs in and, and hitting the ball out of the ballpark, he's on a very, very short list with the biggest names in the sport, whether it's Mike Trout or, or Aaron Judge or, or Mookie Betts or, there, there's, it's a short list of guys that, that do everything, and he's one of them. Garrett Cole, to me, um, you know, came into the, the, this postseason probably with as much or more pressure than anybody uh, because of, uh, you know, the fact that he had struggled or it, it felt like in pressure moments, you know, the wild card game last year. And so he goes out last night, uh, six and a third innings, uh, you know, about, uh, works through a couple of early jams. Tell me what you're seeing in Garrett Cole. Yeah, so Gary is, is an incredible uh, preparer for, for every game and holds himself to such a high bar. I mean, one of the things that I think is a a great characteristic and a, a challenge for him is his pursuit of perfection. And I don't mean a perfect game. I don't mean a no-hitter. He just holds himself to a, to a high bar of pitch execution to where he, he's emotionally attached to whether he does you know does it or doesn't. Um, I think it also impacts, you know, how he responds to umpires. I've watched him over the last year or so be a little bit more aggressive with umpires, especially when he executed a pitch. He did it last night, landed a curveball inside the zone. It didn't get called. And his reaction was was pretty aggressive. If you know Gary, his reaction was pretty aggressive. So, I, you know, I think he holds the burden of being the Yankee ace you know, very much close to, the, to, to his heart. He, he wants to, to, to establish himself as, you know, one of the great pitchers of this generation and, um, you know, I think sometimes he has to be challenged not to have to be perfect. I mean, his stuff is good enough, even with misexecution. The, the homers that he's been given up this year, I know he eats at them um, just by his reactions. I haven't spent time with him this year, obviously. But I I think he, him bouncing back after last night watching Rizzo throw the ball home and them not executing out and then coming back and getting, you know, a big ground ball to third base. Donaldson gets the force out and then he goes and he punches out the next guy and gets out of that inning with in, in keeping them at one run. I think it was that inning. It, that's a huge uh, step in the right direction for, for, for Garrett Cole who expects himself to throw a shutout and, and pitch as many innings as possible any given night. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of John Lester. You're right. With the intensive reaction to umpires, you know, and it was, I think it was David oh. Ross to basically say, look, John, John, let's go. Uh, you know, let's uh, let's get back on track here. To me, I was going to say, Garrett puts so much time and energy into into his decision on what pitch he's going to throw, his delivery being perfect, and executing the pitch. He's like, how can you not focus to the same level that I'm focusing and make the right call? Like that, I think John Lester was that way. I think I think a lot of great pitchers, have, you know, have that edge to them when they put all their time and energy into that executing that pitch, and they expect the umpire to be perfect too. Yeah, I, I, you know, a guy I covered, uh, Roger Clemens. I thought he put a lot of pressure on himself in the postseason, uh, you know, to the point that you didn't know which way it was going to tip for him. And it took him, you know, six, seven years to, I think, work through that and get more comfortable in those big games. Uh, no I, I find it interesting that the Yankees, 99 wins, uh, the Dodgers, 111 wins, enter the postseason uh, with so much uncertainty about what the bullpen roles are going to be. Chris Martin closes for the Dodgers last night with right. 385 fewer saves than Craig Kimbrell, who wasn't put on the roster. But that's kind of where we are in 2022, right? Like the roles are out the window. Uh, the old-fashioned uh, you know, slotting of bullpens, that seems to be out the window. And you guys as managers now are just focused on the best matchups. Yeah, that's changed. You know, from my beginning, I mean, I haven't been managing forever, but enough to where I've seen the game go from the guy getting the last out. It can be anybody, any given time, despite if you have a guy that has 30 or 40. See, we saw it the other day with Diaz comes in in the seventh inning. And yes, they took him out with a bigger lead, but it's still hard to not have him be the guy that gets the last three outs. He's done it the entire year and done it at an elite level. I think that the the value of the matchups and, and, and giving yourself the best chance to get to the end, if we, if we can condition our guys. Now, you see a lot of people doing that during the season a little bit more and more. I know I do it a little bit. Alex Cora has done it a little bit. Uh, Booney even did it a little bit in New York this year when 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 the back end of his bullpen was was inconsistent. And if you can actually do it for the majority of the season, it makes it less shocking in the playoffs. The, the bigger question, as you as you reference with the Dodgers or 
some teams that are so used to having one person finish it and no experience in, in other ways, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. Now, I will tell you, the players will buy in during the playoffs significantly more than they generally like during the season. And that's because it is win at all costs in the playoffs. And everybody has that mentality and everybody has that that focus. And it it does make it easier for managers if the players buy in and if you if you can communicate effectively on, on what matchups you're trying to exploit. I mean, whether it's um, this right-handed guy on this right-handed guy or the pinch hitter on the bench, you know, he's going to be a left-handed guy and we have to focus on him. The more that you can predict accurately the matchups you're going to see, the more the players will adapt regardless of the inning. Uh, since you and I last talked, you guys named Scott Harris as your uh, new general manager, president of baseball operations. What's your connection with him? So I had only met him briefly when he was um, entering baseball or team baseball with the Chicago Cubs under Theo and Jed. Um, I interviewed for the Cubs, you know, back in, in 2014 and um, didn't get the job, and, and I think he was director of baseball ops, and so I, had, I knew him in passing. I didn't know him and not work with him at any other any other time. The most significant time that I've spent with him has been after he's been hired. And that um, I was able to sit down with him during the interview process, and and Chris Illich was kind enough to keep me involved in the in the search. But the more that I've gotten to know him, the more inspired that I've been um, that he's going to be a tremendous leader for our organization. His he's a think tank. He is. He's, he's cut out of the same cloth of, of a lot of the uh, leaders around baseball that I've really admired. And talking about Theo, and talking about Andrew Friedman, and um, what Eric Neander does, and what Brian Cashman has done his for, for three decades. I mean, it's, it's, it, he, he's going to fundamentally change the organization and, and try to get us back to where the Tiger fans really want us to be in the playoffs. And I, you know, from, from, you know, the way he, he evaluates things to the way he interacts with people to the, the vision that he has for our organization. We're off to such a great start. We're aligned so much that the, it, it revolves around players and winning. And, and the better that we can enhance the player experience and the more that we can, 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 can win games um, in creative ways, the, the faster that we'll be back to the, to talking about my decisions in the playoffs and, and, and putting the pressure on me to, to deliver a winning product in October. All right, AJ. Well, thanks for doing this, uh, and I will talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, as I bring you in, hey, it's Sarah's birthday. What do you think? Oh, my goodness, Sarah. Happy, happy, happy birthday, October, I say it's it's the best time of the year. The weather is beautiful, and the fact that it's your birthday elevates the enterprise. So happy birthday. Thank you. Well, Tara, what are you going to do today? Celebrate your birthday. So my mom's in town, which is super exciting. We love Patty. Um, and then my sister just called me, and she's surprising me, and she's coming too. So she'll be flying in tomorrow from Florida. Wow. Now that that's pretty cool that, yeah. uh, that she's making that journey. Your mom made the journey. Uh, were you going to take them any place special? I'm, I'm guessing it's the first time you and your mom and your sister have been together since you moved to Bristol. Yes. So I'm taking them apple picking to a vineyard. And then my sister is a huge pizza girl. So we're going to go to New Haven for pizza. Oh, oh, Sarah, it's it's 929 in the morning and I'm already hungry now that you mentioned that. Are you going to a particular place? Um, so I went to Modern Pizza with my dad and mom when I first moved out here, and that was really delicious. So I'm thinking I'm going to take her there, too. Well, there are several there. Sally's and Frank Pepe qualify as well. So maybe you should go to every one of them because it's your birthday and your family's coming in. Yeah, good taste <laughs> test. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, Todd, before we get to this week's quiz, of course, and I see you're you're uh, you're doing a victory lap on social media because everyone absolutely loved the fan and franchise. Yes, uh, a lot of a lot of kudos to you. Well, I appreciate hearing from folks, and uh, we've hit the end of the road with it, but um, it was a fun a fun topic to explore all season long. Absolutely. 
Yeah, we talked about at some point about the, I can't remember, it was a Bleacher tweet. Someone asked, are we at some point going to have the Montreal Expo as being a phantom franchise? <laughs> because, because you know, they, they even though they were there for a long time, they, of course, never really had any kind of success. And we'll always go through history wondering if that 94 team would have gone further. The what uh, if, the what if. The what if, if not for the player strike. Um, I wanted to get from you, your response to what happened uh, at City Field the other night with Buck Showalter uh, asking the umpires to check on Joe Musgrove because the more that I've thought about, the more people I've talked to, I, don't, I, I thought he was in a bad spot, much in the same way. And I was thinking about a conversation I had with John Farrell uh, a few years ago when John Farrell had uh, Michael Pineda, the Yankees, checked because there was a big gob of pine tar on his neck. And I remember talking to John the next day, and John was like, I didn't want to test the guy. But everyone was, you know, was aware on television and watching it on television that he had this uh, stuff on his neck. He said, including my bosses, what was I going to do? And and I think Buck, in some way, that that was kind of where he was. Musgrove was dominating. His spin rates were up. Uh, you know, our cameras are catching the shiny stuff on his ears, on his face. I, I, I don't think he really had a choice because what? How's he going to look his bosses in the eye? Uh, because he just doesn't want to have that uncomfortable conversation with the umpire to go ask him to go check Musgrove. No, I totally agree, Buster. And listen, it's a little bit different than Billy Martin checking the amount of time pine tar on George Brett's bat back yeah. in the day, right? There's gamesmanship. And then there's, especially given the number of cameras, as you noted, and the, the added scrutiny in October. I agree. I don't think he had much of a choice, but Buster, what is the story here with, with hot sauce on the back of one's ears, or in the case of Roger Clemens, as it came out via Andrew McCutcheon's tweet, uh, in other places, perhaps. Yes, uh, 100%. You know, when I covered Roger, you know, the other players would talk about how before each of his starts, he would shave all the hair off his body, all the hair, and then he would put the heat balm all over his body, all over his body, uh, because he liked the burning sensation. And that's what uh, Andrew was referring to with his tweet the other day, um, I've heard that that's why, you know, after the game, when I was doing my post-game interview with Joe Musgrove, I, I wish I had had 15 seconds with Joe before I asked him a question. Cause I would have said, given, try to give him context. Andrew McCutcheon tweeted out that maybe this is hot sauce just to, you know, to give him an understanding of what was going on there, uh, with that question, his answer actually surprised me. Because I thought he was going to say, "Well, it's you know, it's uh, it's hot, you know, it's hot stuff, or it's something else." But when he said, "I don't know what it is," there was there was something there, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it was sweat, but there was clearly something on his ears. Yeah, no question about it. And and of course, this begets the question, Buster. Before a big game, before Sunday night baseball, do you do likewise with regard to hot sauce and shaving parts of your body? <laughs> yeah uh roger <laughs> roger, <laughs> roger uh wore so much of that heat balm todd that players told me they could smell it from the infield positions okay <laughs> so there's roger clemens on the mound and chuck knoblock uh Derek jeter scott brochus they could also have that antiseptic smell was like in in their face from 50 feet away. How about Lofting that? Lofting through the Bronx. Beautiful. <laughs> exactly. All right. <laughs> let's get to this week's quiz. All right. Uh, and just to uh, note the standings here, Buster with a solid 13, Sarah and Taylor, both with seven. The time has come. Taylor, here. again, so depressed that he's not joining the podcast to compete. You know, he's the, he's the guy who didn't run out of ground ball here. Well, you know, duty calls, and uh, it's his time to shine here in October. It's a busy time of the year. There's no question <laughs> about that. So the time has finally come. Which one of these is not an official color for the Seattle Mariners? Wow. Is it A, metallic silver? Is it B, red? Is it C, northwest green? Or is it D, Puget Sound teal? Not wow. an official color. For the Seattle Mariners, metallic uh, uh, silver, red, northwest green, or Puget Sound teal. Yeah, this is the equivalent of uh, Sarah having hot, you know, the hot stuff on her ears. You know, the advantage, <laughs> competitive advantage, having these uh, color questions 
I have an instinct, Sarah, but I'm going to, well, you know what? I'm going to give my answer because you're going to laugh as soon as I give my answer if it's wrong because you're going to know it's wrong because I have no idea what Todd just said. But it, it's, a, it's a language that I don't understand in any form or fashion. I'm going to say the red. I'm going to say red too, but wow, I just feel like he set us up on this question. He set us up because he was so descriptive with every other color except red. So I'm wow. well, red. you're both wrong. Red is an official color. The little stitches in the baseball on the Seattle Mariners logo are red. The incorrect one of these four would be Puget Sound teal. In wow. the Mariners' official color scheme, navy blue, metallic silver, red, Pantone 199 to be exact, and northwest green. So you're both wrong. Okay. Well, you know what? I can't see color, so I have an excuse. Sarah, what's your excuse? My excuse is I have none. That was just, you know what? <laughs> no, wait a Here second. Your excuse is it's your birthday and you are anticipating pizza, which yeah. throws one off their game. I think it's kind of rude that they didn't change their colors. So I got the right answer on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Todd. Well, thanks for doing this. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, it's time for Bleacher Tweets. And just a reminder, Bleacher Tweets are brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper the ones fans deserve. So the first tweet comes from Michael Preston. What do you think was more important for the Yankees tonight in getting that win? Cole working through a rough start to go six plus innings or the lineup getting the job done with Judge having a poor night? Definitely, Michael. Garrett Cole uh, having a good day because he, he needed to have a good day. Uh, and if they're going to go you know, beyond this series into the next round and the round after that, they're going to need Garrett Cole to lead the way. And so for him to sort of reverse this postseason trend, I think was really important. Next up is Simon Harrow. If the Phillies eliminate the Braves, do you think it will render the regular season pointless and the new postseason format ridiculous given Atlanta finished 14 games above the Phillies? Thanks, Simon in Hong Kong. Not a bitter Mets fan. <laughs> honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the nature of the postseason, right? You have the playoffs, and it's not always the best regular season team that wins the World Series. In fact, most of the time, it's not. Uh, you know, the, the, the last year I was really a fan, 1988, the Dodgers were clearly the, the fourth best team among the four that started in the playoffs, and they wound up winning the World Series pretty definitively. And then last year, you know, the Braves – uh, you know, had the great two-month finish. They uh, you know, had 88 wins, and then they got really hot in the postseason, and they won the World Series. This is just a standard operating procedure. You know, I understand where you're coming from, not being a bitter Mets fan. <laughs> Next up is Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I'm so sorry if I'm going to butcher your last name. Advice Rouse? Advice Rouse? Hey, Buster, watching Astros, does the balanced schedule help eliminate home field advantage, a la the Crawford boxes? Nah, you know, I mean, someone's got to play there, right? They're going to be 81 games in Houston, and the Astros are going to have, uh, you know, their, their uh, ballpark, much in the same way that the Yankees do, much in the same way that the Orioles do with that cut in and left field that they did this year. Um, that's that that's not going to change. You're still going to be playing ball games in those ballparks. And our last tweet today comes from P.K. Steinberg. Within the boundaries of decorum and decency, can you think of any superstition less hygienic than a rally shoe? Yes, P.K. The other day we walked into City Field in the, in the broadcast booth and down on the field was Francisco Lindor, uh, who the previous day had taken early batting practice and then he'd hit a home run in the regular season game. And so naturally, because it worked one day, he did it the next day. And Eduardo Perez yelled out to him in Spanish, uh, you know, uh, he would, that he wasn't surprised that uh, Lindor was taking BP again. And Lindor said he was keeping everything the same, including his underwear. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is it for Bleacher Tweets. Be sure to submit your questions using hashtag Bleacher Tweets every week and check us out on YouTube's every Monday. That's it for today. My thanks to AJ, to Sarah, to Todd, to Taylor, to Sarah, to, to Bruce Bochy. 
for sending along that audio to uh, to Sarah Langs. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.